Well, today we're going to continue in our sermon series called Scattered. Uh, we're going to look at the next section in Philippians chapter 1. I wonder what for you is the most important thing in your life. What matters most? Well, it might be health. That's really important. It might be your freedom. For some in this world, it's their food. Maybe for some in our part of the world, it's food as well. I don't know. But certainly for some of our friends in Ukraine, their next meal is really important. It's probably the most important thing to them right now. I wonder what you're living for. The passage we're going to look at shows us what the Apostle Paul was living for, and I believe God wanting to really encourage us and touch our hearts and our minds and our whole beings so that we are increasingly living for the same things that he, Jesus, was living for and wants us to live for and the Apostle Paul was living for. Paul, remember, is in chains. Uh, He is actually chained wrist to wrist with a member of the Imperial Guard. I'll mention a little bit more about that later. So this is his context. He's under house arrest, but it's not a nice, it's not a pleasant situation he finds himself in. And this is what he writes in Philippians chapter 1 and verses 12 to 18, reading from the NIV. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. But what does it matter? The most, the important thing is, the important thing is that in every way, Whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And I've called this message the important thing. Paul is chained up, remember, and he's literally wrist to wrist with a member of the Imperial Guard. And of course, that gave him the opportunity to share the good news with whoever that particular guard might be. You can imagine the guards as they swap their rotor and, you know, one one shift is done and another one comes that you know there it becomes known clearly amongst the whole palace guard that uh, this guy is in chains because of his declaration of the good news about Jesus and you can't imagine Paul missing the opportunity to communicate with with these guys that he's spending lots of time with you know god uses any and every circumstance to advance the gospel And he wants to use the circumstances of your life and mine today, this week, in some way to advance the gospel. That might be simply by being kind to somebody, expressing the love of Jesus, the love of Christ, whether explaining specifically that that's what it is or not. Just being kind. God's very kind and he wants to help us to be kind as well. Or whether it be something more, whether it be praying for somebody, whether it be offering to pray for somebody, whether it be helping them in a practical way, whether it be expressing something of the actual gospel of Jesus and the way of salvation to them. This whole array of different ways in which we can advance, see the gospel advance, the the kingdom of God touching people's lives through us. It's an incredible privilege and a greatly exciting thing for us to be able to be involved with. So the whole palace guard hears about the gospel we read in verse 13. And these were the emperor's 
bodyguard. This was like our equivalent of the SAS. And they might be the last people on earth you would imagine would be open to hearing the gospel. Or maybe who even we would imagine God would be thinking of touching their hearts. Well, he was. And he is today as well. Others, verse 14, Paul says, are encouraged to speak more courageously and fearlessly. And this suggests to me the whole question of the fear-courage dilemma, as we might call it, that every single one of us faces. You know, an opportunity crops up to in some way express God's love or speak to somebody or connect with somebody, and you sense it. And uh, J. John, uh, the evangelist, uh, talks about the quiver in the liver, that we kind of, we're sensing that there's something may be happening here. That, and then what we find is that we, often we find there's this kind of weighing scales, that we weigh in the balance our fear or anxiety or whatever it is on the one hand, and the courage of God on the other. And there's this kind of, which shall I, shan't I, shall I, shan't I, kind of dilemma that goes on. And then the scales come down eventually on one side or the other. And God wants to give us grace today that actually the scales go that way. They go the courage way and not the other way, not the fear way. We may be fearful of losing relationship. We had a, a situation a few months ago in our neighborhood where we have a WhatsApp group. And Andrew and I were talking about the potential opportunity to offer on the WhatsApp group to our whole street to pray for them. If there was something we wanted to pray for, then let us know. You could private message us. And we went through this sort of shall we, shan't we, shall we, shan't we kind of dilemma. Uh, the fear, the courage, the fear, the courage, if you like. And eventually we landed on the, the courage side. We said, no, yeah, let's do it. Let's trust God for this. And so uh, we sent a message out to our street and wondering what the response would be. And one person came back privately and said, yes, we'd really like you. Could you please pray for this situation, which we were very pleased to do. Nobody appears to have socially distanced from us further as a result of us making this offer, as far as we know. They might have done. We don't know for sure, but nobody seems to have done. Lots of people we've made connection with over the, over the recent months much, much, much more deeply than we ever had before. And God's doing something in our road. He's doing things in your road as well with your neighbours. He wants to enable us to reach out in some way to them. It might be we're fearful of losing relationship. That's part of this fear-courage dilemma. It might be we're fearful of losing reputation, maybe. Do you know what I found is that the more upfront I am, the more people respect what I stand for as a Christian. You may know that I'm a member of a golf club and um, it's become apparent that everybody, and there are hundreds of members, everybody seems to know who I am, inverted commas. The fact that it's, I have a particular calling from God to, to serve him in a full-time way in a church. And um, everybody seems to, they call me the vicar. I'm not a vicar, but they, that's what I can't know me as. Um, it's even been in the newsletter sent out by the Club Pro. <laughs> and uh, I find that fascinating, but you know, I've never had a negative response. That doesn't mean that some people don't keep their social distance a bit more from me. Maybe they do, but uh, certainly it's overwhelmingly a positive response. I think we can fear things way more than the reality is. I think God wants to encourage us to see that and to realize that um, today. In Acts chapter 4, when the 
early, early church were actually under threat of persecution and, and real threat being made against them, their response was to pray and to ask God for more boldness and courage to overcome the circumstances and the opposition that they faced. And let's make that part of our prayer as well. Paul goes on in verses 15 to 17 to say that some people are speaking out of a genuine heart motive and others are speaking out of a very poor motive uh, because actually they're trying to promote themselves. The word uses selfish ambition. Uh, They're trying to kind of use Paul's imprisonment, it would seem, as an opportunity to sort of gain their own position. Uh, Apparently, the commentator says the very same word that's translated selfish ambition would be also used for uh, canvassing as a politician. It's that kind of promoting of yourself, that whole idea. And uh, Or, Paul says, that it's to stir up trouble for him. Well, what's Paul's extraordinary reaction to this situation? It's not, I'm an apostle, get me out of here, to quote a phrase. But rather it is whether people are expressing the gospel for good motives or for bad ones, even to stir up trouble for me. The important thing is that for whatever reason, the gospel is preached. Remember, Paul is chained by a short chain chain called a halusis. He's chained to it by a short chain, wrist to wrist, with a member of the SAS equivalent. And this is not a pleasant experience. When he goes to the toilet, the guy has to come with him. He can do nothing in private. And yet his response to that is, and to the fact that some people are stirring up trouble for him, even while he's there, is to say, never mind. The important thing is that the good news of Jesus Christ is spread, is that people hear it. And of course, he was doing that himself whilst he was chained to the guard. Now, why is the gospel the important thing? What is it about it? Three things. First of all, it's a matter of life and death. A little later in the chapter, the apostle goes on to write this, to say that those who oppose the gospel will be destroyed. They'll be destroyed. That's a strong word. We might be tempted to say, really? When my mother was about eight years old, she was a brownie, of course, as you would be. Uh, she was fascinated by a pond locally. Uh, one day she was leaning, went up to the edge of the pond. Her family were out for a walk. She's looking over the edge of the pond. And uh, her little brother, three years younger, age five, who actually wasn't very little at all. He grew up to be a bit of a giant. He was six foot six. So even when he was five, he was a big guy, probably bigger than my mother who was three years older. He comes up behind her, can't resist the temptation, shove, in she goes into the water. Her response was, she's a well-trained brownie, to put her hand up out of the water and say, help, save me. She then discovered the pond was about 30 centimetres deep. She didn't need to call out at all. And some people might be tempted that when they hear the message that we need to call out to God to save us, that we don't really need to. Nah, it's only like a 30 centimetre pond. It's not a problem. It'll be okay. Jesus made it really, really clear that that is not the case, that that is a deception and a lie 
in one particular chapter of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, he expresses this in three different ways to make it really, really clear so that there can be no confusion about the teaching of Jesus. First of all, he talked about when he returns, that it will, one of the things it will be like is it will be like the bridesmaids. who were, There were ten bridesmaids at a wedding. Five were always ready for the bridegroom to come, and five simply weren't. And in their culture at that time, that was the way it worked, that you didn't know when the bridegroom was going to come. So you got ready, you got ready, you got ready. And then when he was ready, he came. And the anticipation must have built up over the days and, the, and the maybe weeks that people were waiting. And that's the relevance of this analogy that Jesus used, that you, you need to be ready, because he said these, these bridesmaids, five of them, they, they simply hadn't got ready, they hadn't got oil in their lamps, they weren't ready when he came at night. And uh, the result was that although they desperately wanted to meet with him, his words to them were, no, it's too late, the door is shut, um, and you can't come in. And Jesus said this was an analogy of what it would be like when he comes back. That there will be those who haven't got ready. The door will be shut and it will be too late. In this very same chapter of Matthew 25, the second analogy that Jesus uses is of some servants who have been entrusted with some things. And um, one of them, to cut a long story short, doesn't do well at all. And the instruction is, no, uh, send him out into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, it's not a good place to go. And then the third analogy that Jesus draws is of sheep and goats and the fact that at the end when he returns, there will be a separation, a separating out. And It's not difficult for a shepherd to separate sheep and goats. He knows which is which, doesn't he? That's, that's something he can easily do that's clearly distinguished. And they're, they're separated out and the end of the chapter tells us that it was to either eternal life with God or a life of suffering without God. Either a perfect life with God or something that's very much the opposite. So in three different ways, Jesus is making it really clear. This is not like a 30-centimeter pond where somebody, a child might think they were going to drown, but actually they weren't. No, it's not like that at all. This is a really serious matter of life and death for eternity. We sang a little earlier... When Christ shall come, it shouts of acclamation, what joy shall fill my heart. And I will sing of love come down, speaking of coming of Jesus. We really, really want other people to stand with us on that day and to have hearts full of joy that say, Jesus, you are Lord, you are my saviour. I have received the salvation that you offered to me. I've believed in you. I've trusted in you. I've given my heart and my life to you. I'm so, so grateful that I have eternity with you now. And we really, really don't want people around us, whoever they might be, neighbors, friends, family, colleagues, people we know in one way or another, to be in the other situation. Not and having that relationship with Jesus that he's given to us. May God be touching our hearts today, doing something in us that changes us. I know that we need that. I need that. We all need that. That somehow this 
message of the good news of salvation becomes the important thing in our hearts and lives. And that is reflected in the way that we live our lives. Jesus made a promise. We've talked about three different ways in which he really expressed a warning. He also made a promise, and please hear this. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not die, but have eternal, that's perfect, life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That's what he wants. That's his heart. He, he wants it so much for you that he came himself, his son, Jesus Christ, who is and was God, came himself, died on a cross to take the consequences of all our wrongdoing and to make it possible for us to say to him, Jesus, I pray, I ask you to forgive me. Will you forgive me? Will you take on, my, on yourself all my wrongdoing, take it away, remove it. He promises to do that if you'll ask him to, so that I can come into relationship with you. It's a prayer that you can make. It's a prayer of response. It's, it's a prayer of putting trust in Jesus. There are three parts to that. It's to admit, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. To believe, Jesus died so that you don't have to and to commit to following him and serving him even as I'm speaking and going on to speak for a few more minutes you can make those things your prayer if you're ready to do so there are critical moments in our lives moments when God speaks he touches hearts and he calls us to respond for all of us as Christian people, that is an ongoing thing. There are times when you know God's touching your heart and it's a critical moment to make a response. For some of you watching and listening, you may not yet be a Christian. And this could be a critical moment for you where God is touching your heart. He is speaking to you and he's asking you, inviting you to make a response so that you can become somebody who knows him, is in relationship with him, is reconciled to him and becomes a follower of his to serve him. My family went tobogganing uh, some years ago now. And on this particular slope, uh, there was something we just didn't know about. And my mother was at the bottom of the slope. My brothers and I were at the top of the slope. We all got toboggans and we started toboggan down. And then to my mother's horror, my eldest brother at one particular point was careering towards a particular point where there was a 20-foot vertical drop, which none of us had seen. And from the bottom of the slope, she saw him coming towards it. And she shouted out, Michael, stop! And he put the brakes on and he stopped. And he said, Mother, I knew you meant it. Please hear my heart. If you're somebody who today is not yet a believer in Jesus, I'm calling out to you and saying, stop. Reflect. Pray. Reach out to God. Ask him to help you, to speak to you, and to save you. This is why the gospel is the important thing. 
It really is a matter of life and death. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. As believers, God is wanting to touch our hearts so that we care enough about the people around us with his love and care that we are galvanized into different lives, different lifestyles, that we live out of the fact that the gospel is the important thing. It changes the way we live. So it is a matter of life and death. It is also a matter of God's honor or dishonor. I'm not going to dwell on this one this morning. I just wanted to note it, that whether people become worshippers of God or not says something about the honor or not that God receives. And that is really, really important. And thirdly, it's a matter of care and compassion. By care, I'm thinking, drawing a distinction between the two. By care, I'm talking about a decision of the will. By compassion, I'm talking about the emotion of the heart. And the two are both valid as motivators for us to seek to connect with and help people who don't yet know Jesus get to know him and to be saved. We're going to watch a very short video clip uh, now from a guy called J. John, who is a brilliant communicator, and then I'll come back and say a little bit more about that. Our next-door neighbours, okay, our next-door neighbours, uh, they're, not, they're not Christians. They call my, my, my wife and I the neighbours from heaven. <laughs> that's what they call us. Actually, that's pretty good, isn't it? We wouldn't want to be called the neighbours from the other side. You see, it would be very easy, right, for me to fly all the way from London and come to L.A. Hey, I'll go to L.A. and tell someone about Jesus and ignore my neighbours. Ignore them. And, you know, the, uh, she had a stroke and had to go into hospital, and he was ill, and he asked us if we, we would put him to bed every night. And I came back, and Killy said, oh, uh, they've asked us if we put him to bed every night. I said, what, what does every night mean? <laughs> Killy goes, I think every night means every night. It's like, what, every night? It's like, do you see what I mean? It's, it's like, whoa, you know. It's like, you, you want revival, but you don't want to put someone to bed every night. What kind of, <laughs> what kind of nonsense is that? You see, praying, praying leads to caring. I believe God is going to be giving us opportunities to care for people around us in a new way. I felt like God spoke to me about that as I was preparing this message. So I want to encourage you, every one of you, to be asking God to open up opportunity, to bring to your attention needs of people around you in your sphere, whoever they might be, and ask him for opportunity. It might be challenging. It might be inconvenient. But let's ask him for it and let's take it. Let's express his care and his compassion to people around us. We have some neighbours who are quite elderly, 
And we've got to know them over the recent months for the first time. And there have been a number of different ways, both with provision of some food, but also with helping them in other practical ways that we've been able to, to get to know them better. And Angela in particular has been able to do that. Um, what's happened in our hearts is we found, we, I, I start to really care about them. And what I found is that care leads to compassion. That when we make a decision to care for somebody, to do something to help somebody, even if it's not because we're feeling like we want to, it might actually be rather inconvenient. But actually when we make the decision to be caring, the compassion follows. It's like God comes in on the back of it. Say, well done, that's a great decision. Now I'm going to give you the heart to go with it. And sometimes it has to be that way. So don't wait for the feeling. Make a decision. The feelings will follow. That's what I'm saying to you. Love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said. These days that we live in are a particular opportunity for us to express that, particularly as we go through the coming months of no doubt increasing lockdown through the winter season and so forth, uh, we can express God's care and compassion to people around us. Let courage outweigh fear. Let care and compassion outweigh inconvenience. You know, how do we make the gospel the most important thing? How does that happen? Well, first of all, if you're not yet a Christian, it is by putting your trust in Jesus. And I want to encourage you uh, to be praying that prayer, to be saying to God, I, I need your forgiveness, to be saying to him, I want to believe in you, please help me. That might be where you're at. To be saying to him, I will choose to follow you. And if you're in that kind of position of processing those things and wondering about those things, then I've put my personal email address up on the screen there. And I invite you to email me if you'd like to with your questions, and I'll be very pleased to respond to you personally and to help you in any way I can to make steps on your journey towards knowing God and Jesus for yourself. For those of you who are already believers, who you, you're already a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage us to pray and make a response to him right now. So wherever you are, why don't you I encourage you to, to close your eyes, uh, to hold your hands out before God perhaps, and uh, let me pray for us all. Jesus, I ask you to come now by your Holy Spirit and to touch every one of our hearts. Lord, we, we want to be people who overcome fear where it's present. We want to acknowledge that sometimes we're fearful, that sometimes we need your courage, we need extra courage, and we ask for it now. I pray, Holy Spirit, impart fresh courage to all of your people as we reach out to you. And Lord, we're really sorry that sometimes we just don't have the compassion in our hearts that you have for people around us. And we pray that you'll come and touch our hearts right now, again. Lord, as we ask you for opportunities to express your care to people, we want to say to you, Jesus, we will take them. Make sure we recognize them, I pray, when, we, when they're there. We will take them. And we ask you, as we take them, to also give us 
more of your compassion, more of your heart for the people around us. To express that love to them in whatever way is good. Holy Spirit, we're looking to you to do a work here. So that we're changed. So that we're different. So that we live our lives in different ways. And we ask you to do this and to bring your kingdom in as a result. However you choose to do it. Whoever you choose to do it with. Every day. Everywhere. For your glory we pray. In Jesus name. Amen.